This morning's reading is taken from Luke 16, chapter 1 to 13. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 800 galleons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it's done you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly worth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. So um, for those who are visiting, we we follow something called the lectionary, which is a a series of readings that are set by the church. And so sometimes they lead us to passages that are a little bit trickier uh, to understand and get to grips with, uh, and they make it a challenge for for those who are speaking. Uh, Today is such a day, so let's um, pray as we face this passage together. Jesus, we thank you for your words and the ways in which you speak to us through it. And even when your word is a challenge, that there are things you want to reveal or show to us, and we pray by your spirit, would you do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no doubt that it is a really uh, curious dialogue that takes place here, because as Jesus tells this parable of the dishonest manager, it seems in his follow-up teaching, as he's unpacking the parable, it seems a little bit like Jesus is condoning dishonesty. Or it seems a little bit like what Jesus is doing is condoning that we should buy friends with money. We should buy favour with other people. If you take the words on their own, it's very easy to interpret it as that. But actually, we as followers of Jesus know that's not what Jesus would be doing. Uh, We need to see it in the context of, of what Jesus is saying elsewhere, what Jesus is doing elsewhere. Elsewhere, and, and to understand what's going on in the parable, which let's remember is just a made up story, it's not an account of something that actually happened, and to understand what Jesus might be saying to us through this particular parable that he tells of uh, this dishonest manager. 
And it's a bit of an unusual one because uh, there's a lot of people involved in the story and it's hard to know who they are and what they represent and what they mean to us uh, as we interpret it today. But essentially what you've got, if we modernize it slightly, is you have the CEO of a company who has employed a manager to do his work for him. Uh, So that's quite common. We see that today. And essentially that manager that he employed has been dishonest, he's been untrustworthy with money, uh, he's not been dealing with things the way that he should do, and so he's being sacked. Now, if it was you or me, uh, if we knew that we were about to be sacked, we would want to make some plans for the future, wouldn't we? We want to think, okay, I need to find a different job then. Uh, I may have to find something else. I know that during uh, the the lockdowns and the pandemic, when a number of people lost their jobs or were facing losing their jobs, a lot of people were rethinking about training in something completely different, just in the hope there might be a job for them on the other side. And what this man, this shrewd manager does, is he essentially gets some people back who owe his master money, and he gives them a massive discount. He basically says, whatever you owe, just just pay back a bit less than you owe. And what he's doing there is he's taking off his own cap of what he would have earned. Uh, So he's not really doing the the master out of any money in this particular phase. But he's taking off what he would have earned. And uh, he basically is saying, you know, have it as a bargain, as a bit of an offer, in the hope that those people might go, oh, what a jolly nice chap he is. Oh, he's so nice. He's so kind. So that when he's out of work and he can't dig, he's not physically able to do anything uh, and he doesn't want to beg maybe one of these people might say oh he was such a nice man let's give him a job or he was such a nice man let's give him somewhere to live that's what he's hoping is going to happen in this parable and Jesus then takes that and says this this guy's really clever He's really shrewd with what he does. He thinks very logically and very carefully about his future. It's really a genius idea is what Jesus is saying. But then he goes on to say uh, that actually we should be shrewd like him. uh, And and when we're thinking about kind of buying friendships or, or thinking about earning friendships, that we need to do so and think eternally. And it seems like such a weird phrase to say. A weird thing for Jesus to be saying. But when we hold it in its context, we realize what Jesus is saying is something very powerful. Because what he's talking about here is about the transformed life. The life that Jesus gives to us that transforms us from the inside out. It's talking about basically two sides of that life, before Jesus and after Jesus, and the difference that he makes in our life, and also acknowledging the difference that, necessarily, that he may not necessarily make. Because the key thing to remember, or the key thing to kind of draw from this parable, one of the key things to draw from this parable is that Jesus is saying that when we choose to accept Jesus for who he is, when we decide to give our lives to Jesus and to follow him, yes, there is a rebirth that takes place, and we are forever changed, and our vision is forever changed, and our purpose is forever changed. What Jesus doesn't do is completely ignore our past. He doesn't completely ignore what led us to that point and almost say, well, you've you've come to follow Jesus now, you've come to follow me, let's just pretend all that stuff before didn't happen. That's not what Jesus does. Yes, he washes our sins clean and washes us white as snow. From that sense, our past is forgotten. But he doesn't forget what made us who we are. The background that we had before we came to know Jesus. And what he's saying is, that background that you have, that thing, that life that you bring with you into life with me, 
There are ways in which that can be used to bless the kingdom and to build the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus takes us as we are. And there's a fear that a lot of people have that if I become a Christian, if I decide to say yes to Jesus, some people, even though they are compelled by the fact that Jesus was real, that what he said was true, the the fear that they have of saying yes to Jesus is it's going to somehow make them into a bit of a crazy person or a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a strange person, whatever it may be, because of encounters they've had with people who uh, say they follow Jesus but are a bit strange. Let's be honest, some people are a bit strange. I remember when I was was a young person, about 14 or 15, I would go to youth camps that were led by Christians of a generation a couple above mine. And one of the things that me and my friends, I remember having a conversation with my friends saying that one of the reasons we don't want to say yes to Jesus is because if we do, we're going to have to be like the people on the stage who wear sandals and socks. And what I realized after time is it wasn't following Jesus that made them wear sandals and socks. It was the fashion of their generation that made them wear sandals and socks. Uh, and so it was like, it was, uh, that was, but it was a genuine fear in us that we'd have to change who we are in some way and to be embarrassing. But the chances are that if you've met a Christian who says that they follow Jesus and you think they're a bit weird, the chances are they were already weird. They just happen to follow Jesus. Because he takes us as we are, with our personalities, with our upbringing, with everything we brought with us into life, and he takes us as we are. And yes, he is transforming us. Yes, he is changing us from glory to glory. But that transformation is a process that happens in our lives, that he is doing in us. But he doesn't forget our personalities before. He doesn't forget who we were before, or what we were before, or what we learned before. Let me give a, a really personal example. When I was, uh, uh, started secondary school at the age of 11, I was incredibly shy. I, I was easily one of the most shy people in my class, and the thought of standing up in front of other people like I'm doing today just didn't compute with me at all. And on the way to school, uh, one uh, sort, of, uh, sort of towards the halfway through the first year, one of the friends that I walk with uh, overheard me singing. And he said, oh, Carl, you can, you can sing quite well. You should audition for the musical that's coming up. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I was absolutely terrified at being in front of people. There's no way I would do that. Later on that day, the geography teacher, Mr. Stewart, I remember him clear as day because he's one of the most influential people in my life. He came up to me and said, Carl, it's so great to see that you've signed up to audition for the play. <laughs> I hadn't. My friend had done it on my behalf. Thank you very much. Uh, I went to the audition and I was given the role of the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. A perfect role for someone who's very shy because for most of the play you're hiding behind something else until right at the end. But actually there was something in that, something in Mr. Stewart that what he did and the way he nurtured that brought a confidence out in me that I never knew was there. And so I did a musical for every year for the rest of my time at school and college. Uh, All kinds of different roles. Uh, My favourite by far was playing Bill Sykes in Oliver and terrifying people. Uh, But also I played in Barnum, I played uh, the ringleader. Lots of different roles, completely out of my comfort zone. But I will be honest, every single one of those roles was for purely selfish reasons. Because I came to love the whole, look at me, aren't I great world. I loved the affirmation, I loved the applause, I loved the way that people would come up after me and say, what a great job. I loved seeing my face in the newspaper when the school put the play in there. I loved all of that stuff of self-acclimation. I loved the attention, I'll be honest. Absolutely loved it. 
I got attention for what I did. And then at the age of 16, 17, I came to know Jesus. And he completely transformed my life. But he didn't forget all that stuff I'd done before because suddenly there was a change of desire in me. I still wanted to do music. I still wanted to be in front of people, but not for me, for him. For his glory. To help and to bless and serve other people. To help other people to encounter him. Jesus didn't ignore that past of musicals. He used that as a time to build my confidence so that when I came to know him, I could use that for his glory. He doesn't forget who we were before. And so he's saying to the, in, this, in the context of this parable about the shrewd manager that actually what he's doing is really clever. And you can't deny that what he's doing is really clever. He's planning for his future. He's thinking ahead. He's being, he is being very shrewd and thinking about the future in a really clever way. What the issue that Jesus has with this particular manager is his motive for doing that. Because his motive for doing that is incredibly selfish. As he said, he's a person of the world, he's not a person of the light, and so he's doing this for selfish reasons. But then Jesus says, just imagine there's a manager who does this for the sake of others. Just imagine that there's a manager who's so clever that he thinks, actually, I can save some some people some money here by not taking my cut. I can make their life a lot easier, and I can do that to bless them and to help them and to serve them. That would be amazing, wouldn't it, if you had a manager who did that? And in just three chapters' time, we're going to see that exact thing in Zacchaeus. The same shrewdness you're going to see in Zacchaeus, but he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for the sake of the kingdom. He's doing it because his life is transformed by Jesus. Jesus takes the shrewdness that Zacchaeus has and he uses it for building the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is asking here in this parable. He's saying, take what you have, take who you are, take who you've been and use it for the kingdom. Use it to have an impact on this earth for the kingdom of God. Use it in a way that's going to bless and help and serve others. Use your money, use your finances, use your time, use your energy, use your efforts, the gifts, talents and skills that you have, the skills that you've learned and gifts that God's given you. Everything you have, if you use it for the kingdom, if you use it for the sake of others and not for the sake of yourself, then you'll be building something far greater that will last for eternity. So that with the Matthew 25 principle of when it says, whenever you feed someone who's hungry, you're feeding Jesus. Whenever you visit someone in prison, you're visiting Jesus. That's what this parable is essentially summing up, that same cheating of Jesus. So that when we come to heaven, when we come to the kingdom, we run in and there are people running up to us and say, oh, you're the one who did this for me. You showed me Jesus when you loved me in that way. You're the one who celebrated me when everyone else rejected me. You're the one who gave money to me when I was in real need. And in doing that, you showed Jesus. And there we have friendships that last for eternity not just on earth. That's what this parable is teaching us. That there's something to build for eternity, not just on earth. Jesus isn't talking about buying friendships for popularity. What he's saying is, is when you live shrewdly and you you use what God's given you in a good and honest and faithful way that's for the sake of other people and not for the sake of yourself, you will be building for something for eternity. You are trusted with little to build the kingdom And if you're trusted with little, you're trusted with much. And if you imagine Christians who are trusted with much, what impact we could have for the kingdom on earth today.
If we surrender all that we are to him who is worthy and we say, I want to take everything you've made me to be, all my experiences, all my skills, all my gifts, all my talents, my finances, and I want to use them for you, what an impact that would have in this world. This parable is about what a transformed life can do, but it's not Jesus saying, I ignore your past. He's saying, let me take who you were and use it for good and for my glory so that others can see how amazing Jesus is in you. If you were a little bit weird before, you might still be a little bit weird, but that's okay. And yes, I am doing a work in you. Yes, I am transforming you from glory to glory. Yes, I am making you to be the best version of yourself you can possibly be. Yes, I do want you to turn from the things you used to do when they were harmful and turn to face Jesus as we talked about this morning. But as you do that, the more you do that, the more I will trust you to do that. And the more I trust you to do that, the more impact you will have for the kingdom of God. And what a privilege that is, that our God, even knowing who we were before, still wants to partner with us, still wants to work with us to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What an absolute privilege that is to not take for granted in any way. Our hope is that Darcy, Hayden and Liberty grow up knowing that love for themselves, knowing how much Jesus wants to partner with them for who they are. And whatever they bring to the table, Jesus wants to use it for his kingdom and his glory for all of us. And you may be sitting here, even right in this moment, knowing there's a part of my life I know I've never surrendered. I've surrendered 90% of my life to Jesus. There's a song that, uh, there's the words, the song is, I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender all. Now, I saw a thing online a while ago that somebody was singing that song, I Surrender All, as a parody, and then they had the, it was an act, it was a sketch, and they had a, a person beside them representing the voice of God, and he went, I surrender all, and God went, really? All? You mean all? Do you really surrender all or do you only surrender 80%? Jesus call on us is to surrender all we are to him. Because anything we give over to him will be nothing compared to what he gives us in return. Because we become builders of the kingdom. The greatest privilege there is. So whatever talents, skills, gifts, experiences, money you have, when you surrender it to God you will be trusted with more. And the more you're trusted with, the greater our impact becomes for the kingdom. I, for one, want to be part of that as much as I possibly can. And my hope and prayer is that you do too. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that when you call us to relationship with you, you welcome us as we are. And I just wonder if, if you're here this morning and, and maybe you, you know you've heard about Jesus before. You know that what's said about him is true. And something has held you back from saying yes. Maybe it's a fear of what you might become or a fear of what you have to do. Or maybe you just don't know how. 
And it is as easy as saying, Jesus, I choose to believe in you and to follow you. So if you're here this morning and you want to make that your prayer, then just say that after me. Jesus, I believe you. Jesus, I choose to follow you. And if you've prayed that prayer, then, then tell someone, because when you confess it with your mouth to somebody else that you've prayed that prayer, it becomes more a truth, more a reality, and they will be able to celebrate with you, because you've just done the best thing you'll ever do. Now, life won't become easy or perfect when you follow Jesus. It is a process, it is a journey, but we have life with him in all its fullness. And maybe you're here this morning and you know there's a part of you you've not surrendered. And it's almost as if Jesus is holding out his hand and saying, look, if you give it to me, you'll be trusted with more. And so, Jesus, we do surrender to you afresh this morning. Jesus, I choose to give you all that I have and all that I am. So we're going to stand to sing in response and if you want to uh, respond in prayer then do come and speak to me or to Anna or we'd be delighted to pray for you this morning but let's stand and sing together.